welcome again to 2023, and I want to start off just by bragging on you. There's something special, isn't there, about a service like this, where you know those who show up, this is going to be family. No matter what you were dealing with last night, no matter what the party was like or how late it went, here you are this morning to make your first act in 2023 an act of worship. And so I'm really proud of all of you, and I welcome you to this uh, new year. I'm particularly proud of you because you arrived uh, on time for our unusual start time, our 10 o'clock start time, which means that you are very savvy Chapel Hill Billies. You pay attention, so that is impressive. I did notice a few of you came an hour early just to pray and meditate in this. <laughs> and so thank you, Mark, for your uh, ministry to our church uh, this morning. That, that, was, that was terrific. Anyway, may the Lord's uh, richest blessings be upon you and your family in this coming year. Obviously, this Sunday uh, is special for the Toon family because we get to baptize, got to baptize uh, Cece. But uh, I think it is a special service for all of us because we're going to celebrate our annual tradition of baptismal renewal, our vows of baptismal renewal. Uh, by the way, this is something that we kind of created, and it has caught on. There are churches across the country that participate in this service on the first Sunday of the new year. Now, this isn't rebaptism. We Presbyterians don't believe in rebaptism, but it is a chance for us to pause once again and to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness to us and to renew our commitment to Him out of deep gratitude that the God of all universe has reached out to us and saved us and called us to be a part of His family. And for our scripture text this morning, we turn to what is really a, a singular passage of scripture. It is unique. And it, it, today's account from the Gospel of Luke, which we are making a long, languorous journey through in this coming year, today's account is the only story that we have of Jesus in childhood. The only one. Aside from the Christmas narratives, this is our one glimpse of Jesus and his family life before he comes out and begins his adult ministry. 30 years later. So this is very special. Uh, it is an opportunity to learn from Joseph and Mary how to raise a teenager that loves and serves God. And given our commitment, which I shared with you weeks back, to mobilize our next generation, I hope that this causes all of us faithful Chapel Hill folk to sit up and take, pay notice, take notice. So we're, here we go, How to Raise a Teenager by Mary, Joseph, and God. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2, this wonderful passage of Scripture. Only Dr. Luke includes this, starting with verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they, that is Mary and Joseph and Jesus, returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposed him to be in the group. They went with in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they freaked out. <laughs> it's not in there, but you know it's in there. 
And they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Isn't it a great story? The last time that we had a baptism Sunday here at Chapel Hill, it was actually a very discouraging time for me. I showed up that morning, uh, and when I did, Pastor Ellis pointed out that I was wearing the old Chapel Hill baptism t-shirt, and he insisted that I wanted to wear the new cool Chapel Hill baptism t-shirts. And so obviously because I want to be cool and hip and groovy and boss and with it and whatever it is that we say, I I absolutely wanted to do that. So I went and found the box of shirts, and I pulled out a large, and I put it on, and I felt like an overstuffed sausage. (laughs) I looked like this. I looked like the Michelin man, roll (laughs) after roll after roll after roll, and I knew I had gained some weight, but I was... It was disgusting and depressing. I was so discouraged until one of the team members said, "Um, yeah, that's a kid's large. (laughs) You might want to try on the adult large. Whew, what a relief. In this morning's story, we find a 12-year-old Jesus trying to grow up and trying to become the man that loves and serves his heavenly father. But his parents, his mom especially, they're trying to keep him stuffed in his baby clothes. We need, I think, to listen to this story, beloved, especially this group, for I know this is a, the gathering of the faithful this day. We need to listen to this story because today's church is not doing a very good job of helping our children grow into adult believers We are told that 66% of church kids, those who accepted Jesus, those who went to the youth group, those who went to Sunday school and vacation Bible school, 66% of these kids, when they walk out of our doors and into the embrace, the eager embrace of the universities that want to shame that Christianity right out of them, 66% of them abandon their faith and abandon the church. It's why we are going to be launching this Family Discipleship Academy, not only to train our young people, our young students, but that their parents and their grandparents and their surrogate grandparents as well, to disciple our kids. We must do better. And this morning's story, I think, gives us some tips. Joseph and Mary teach us things to do and some things not to do if we are going to raise up our teenagers to have a resilient, victorious, 
faith. So let's give attention to that. Now, you might start by protesting. You say, wait a second, this is not fair because this isn't any ordinary teenager, right? This is the Son of God, for crying out loud, is the only perfect human. I love my kids, but they aren't perfect. So what difference does it make how Mary and Joseph raised Jesus? It was already kind of baked into the, into the cake, wasn't it? What relevance does that have for me and my grandkids and kids? Well, maybe we could start by starting at the beginning of the text that I read. And then at the end of the text, too. This is a parenthesis, so pay attention. Anytime you see the same idea on either side, bracketing something, you ought to pick up, sit up, and pay attention. The verse 40 says this, And the child, this is the infant Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then after the story we heard about the 12-year-old Jesus being brought to Jerusalem, we read this. When they returned to his town of Nazareth, we read verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Again, these are parentheses verses, so we've got to pay attention to them. And what we are telling us is that Jesus grew up in every way that any human child grows up. From childhood to manhood. He didn't just increase in stature. We are told, if you can imagine this, that he increased in favor with God and with man. And further, it says, and he increased in wisdom. I want you to see this. The, there were things about that Jesus learned as he matured about how to live well, how to live wisely. This wasn't just an adult Jesus who knew everything, kind of trapped in a baby body waiting to grow up so he could show his stuff. Jesus, we are told, was a real human baby, a real human child who had to learn things, learn ways, learn wisdom as he grew up. In other words, Mary and Joseph were not just caretakers. They were not there just to change him and feed him and protect him. They were shapers of the Messiah's life. What they taught him and what they said and what they modeled for him, what Joseph did in his, in his workshop with his young son, all of these helped form Jesus into the man that he was to become. Their parenting mattered, which means that what they did and how they did it is indeed relevant for us who want to raise teenagers to be wise and favored before God and man. And obviously there are no guarantees Every child has to walk their own path. But we make promises. You heard it earlier at baptism. We make promises as we baptize our children to do our best to raise them up in the Lord. So what is our best? Here are a few biblical parenting tips from Mary and Joseph about what to do and what not to do. First of all, the to-dos. If we want to raise godly teenagers, we better model faithfulness. Say those two words with me. Model faithfulness. Say it again. Model The only glimpse that we have of a teenage Jesus is with his family on pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this holy festival. That was not easy. That was a long trip. All Jewish men were required to make pilgrimage to Jerusalem if they lived within a certain distance three times a year for Passover, for Pentecost, and for the Feast of Tabernacles. The families 
weren't required to accompany the man, the father, but they often did. And here we find Joseph and Mary and Jesus all together participating in this holy pilgrimage. Joseph and Mary modeled spiritual faithfulness for their teenage son. You cannot be disengaged in your faith if you want your children to be fully engaged in theirs. Our daughter Rachel has a friend named Jacqueline. She, with her husband, are raising an 18-month-old boy named Strider. Strider doesn't speak a word yet, but boy, does he understand. When they gather for mealtime, mom will say, time to pray, Strider, we're going to talk to Jesus. And Rachel tells me that in his high chair, he will throw his hands together and throw his head down on the tray to pray. In the morning, when mom gets up to have her devotions, if Strider toddles into the room and he sees her sipping coffee, he will go and find her Bible and bring it to her and hand it to her, as if to say, time to read the Word, mom. Now, where do you think he picked up these practices? from the faithful faith of his parents. The old adage, do as I say and not as I do, it is horrible parenting advice. Christianity is caught as much as it is taught. If we want our teens to grow up to become faithful followers of Jesus, we'd better model faithfulness ourselves. If we want them to have a vibrant commitment to the church family, we had better be faithful weekly worshipers. If we want them to understand the value of accountability, we had better be faithfully engaged with our life groups. If we want our children to be selfless persons when they grow up, we had better model faithful lives of service. If we want our children to be generous when they grow up, then they better see us living a life of faith-filled generosity. When your kids look at you, when your grandkids look at you, Do they see someone who is seeking to live out their faith? Not perfectly, but faithfully. Do as I do. Model faithfulness. That is the first, that is the most important of Christian parenting tips. Do not be a hypocrite. Here's the second one that we learn from Mary and Joseph. Partner up. Would you say that? Partner up. Now today, you might be horrified as a parent, to imagine that you could go one full day in a caravan of people before you realize that your child was missing. You might be, you know, tempted to call child protective services or something. But this was very plausible, very possible back then when they made these journeys in community with trusted family and friends, acquaintances and relatives, the text says. The American ideal of family, the ideal, at least it used to be until recently, it is coming under increased vitriolic attack. The American ideal was a mom and a dad who are able together to raise their kids. But the biblical ideal of family is mom and dad with the rest of the village. Mary and Joseph were not concerned when Jesus wasn't with them because they assumed, they knew, they trusted that the, the extended family with which he was walking, they had partners in their parenting. Do you have parenting partners? Do you have confidence in other adults with whom your child is walking in life and in faith? Could you make a list of them? 
We all know the African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it was absolutely true in first century Palestine. And I dare say it is desperately true in 21st century Gig Harbor. No parent, no parents can raise a healthy child these days without help, without partners, without reliable and mature and believing surrogate spiritual dads and moms and grandpas and grandmas and uncles and aunts. You saw my strapping son Cooper up here with his family this morning. I've loved being his dad. I'm so proud of him and the man he is becoming. And I think back to the many significant times that we have shared together, including memorably for me a coming-of-age ceremony on the temple steps in the old city of Jerusalem. It has been my honor and my joy to be your dad, to have you as my son. But I did not do it alone. There are men in this church, Todd and Tom and Rich and Steve and others, who also invested in him and are still doing so. And as with every single family here, there are moments when we needed a, a neutral third party, one who was a little less irritated or agitated like dad might be. It, it's as you know, it's like tag team wrestling. Once in a while, you need to tag out and receive the help of a trusted friend who I knew loved my son as I do. I needed partners. And in those moments when Cindy and I felt like we were failing as parents in some way, we needed more seasoned couples to, to do just what they did. They laughed at us. <laughs> you laughed at us. I remember you doing it. And you teased us. And you told us to relax. And then they shared their stories when they were so concerned with their sense of failure as parents and they assured us our kids would be fine. And they were. And they are. We need partners in parenting. Statistically, did you know this? A young person raised in a Christian home and in the church is way more likely to maintain their faith into adulthood if they have at least Five relationships with non-parental Christian adults. Five relationships with non-parental Christian adults. That apparently is the magic sauce. That's the number. Perhaps the greatest value of our Sunday school and our youth ministry programs is the adult leaders who are partnering with you parents in the loving of and in mentoring of your children. So parents and grandparents, could you, list, could you make your list? Who are the five people that would be on your list for each of your kids? If not, you had better get on the stick because you cannot do this alone. So we raise godly teenagers. We need, to, we need to model faithfulness to them and we need to partner up. Those are the two positive things. There are others, but I, we only, I can't preach all day. I could. You wouldn't like it. So there are two. Those are two positive things that Mary and Joseph teach us. I'd love to have reflected on what she meant when it says she just pondered these things, treasuring them in her heart. There's something there too. That's rich, but I can't do it. So those are the two things. Here are the couple of things that we learned from their mistakes. The next tip, the don't do it tip, don't make it about you. Parents, don't make it about you. When they finally found Jesus in the temple, Mary's frustration was on full display. 
Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. There's not a person here, not a parent here who's ever lost their kid that doesn't ex- understand exactly what Mary was going through here. Mary, though, was most perturbed because of the fear and the inconvenience and the stress that Jesus had caused them. Why have you treated us so? And she couldn't pause long enough to see what the remarkable wonder that was before her. Her beloved son, her beloved young man, sitting among the religious leaders, astounding them with his questions and apparently his answers as well, his spiritual insights at the age of 12. I could be wrong, and you could correct me if you can find another place in, the, in Scripture that suggests otherwise, but I believe this is the only time in all of the Gospels where it is recorded that a group of spiritual leaders engaged positively with Jesus. There were single spiritual leaders like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, but I think this is the only time that a group of religious leaders engaged positively with him. From this moment on, every time that Jesus is with a group of religious leaders, they are angry, or they are offended, or they are threatened, or they are murderous. This was the one moment in all of recorded gospel history where we find the religious leaders engaging with the Messiah the way they should have in wonder and appreciation and amazement and awe. But Mary didn't even see it. She was too irritated over her inconvenience and stress. She was irritated that her little boy wasn't acting like a little boy should. He was acting like someone on the verge of manhood. And that comes out in Jesus' mild rebuke of his mom. Not the only time Jesus mildly rebuked his mom. I direct you to John chapter 2, the wedding of Cana. But here's a a mild rebuke from the Lord. He says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? It's unfortunate that we we translate that house because actually the better translation for that word house is business. It's un- I w- did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? Mary wanted to make this about her, about them, but it wasn't about them. It was about Jesus' relationship and obedience to God the Father. We parents, we want to raise children that reflect well upon us. I do. I admit it. We... We want them to listen to us. We want them to hang on our every wise word. (laughs) To respect us. And and by the way, all of these things are good. There's a commandment about this, so it's important to God. But there comes a point when it is no longer about us. It's about them and their relationship with God. Their spiritual autonomy, which means... We must step back. We must recognize that we have done our best, release them to God's care and the baptismal vows that we made, and then watch with wonder to see what He will do. We need to let go, parents, grandparents. It is not easy, I know, but it is is essential. So it's not about us. And here's the final 
subtle thing that we find here. Ready? Ready for this? This is really for half of you people. Dads must speak up. Say it with me. Dads must speak up. How come those women seem to say that louder than the men? Let's, let's try it again. Dads must speak. We may not even notice that because of our culture, but the fact that Mary spoke up in this temple setting where women would normally have remained silent, it was unusual. In fact, it would be considered inappropriate at the time for the culture. Especially since, as a 12-year-old son, it was Joseph's job to lead his son into manhood. That might be why it says that Mary and Joseph used to go every year for Passover to, the, to Jerusalem. But this is the first time it says that they went together. It was the, it was the dad's son to lead his 12-year-old into uh, manhood. This was the year that it happened. And as you may be very well aware... Nowhere in either of the Gospels that have any account of, the, of that, the Christmas story ever does Joseph speak a word. He dreams, he obeys, he takes care of his family, but we have no record of a single word from Joseph ever, not one. And I can't help but wonder if in this moment maybe he should have spoken up. Maybe he should have stepped in, man to man to his young son man, and speak with him instead of remaining in Mary's shadow. Dads, you must speak up. You must speak into your children's lives. Too often we abdicate our spiritual responsibilities because our wives are good at it, because perhaps they are more diligent about it than we are. We often will pull back and remain in the shadows. We go along for the spiritual ride. But our kids need to hear the witness of both an engaged mom and an engaged father. They need to hear both mom and dad praying for them at night, blessing them. They need to hear both mom and dad speaking of their faith and offering wise counsel as they move into adulthood. Dads, you must step up. You must speak up. And single moms, if you are doing that hard work of raising your child alone, then, then that means all the more we got to go back to point number two, which is partner up. Every godly man, you got to find one who is willing to invest in your children and help you with the nurture of those kids. I love this glimpse that we have of Jesus as a young man. I'm grateful for it. It's a treasure. But I can't help but wonder, was Luke also giving us a glimpse not only of him as a young man, but also of the end of the story? Was Luke saying, I'm going to give you a teaser of something yet to come? I mean, for, we see, for instance, this is the first time when Jesus celebrates his Passover that we are told. I wonder, if does this hint at the last Passover he would celebrate in the upper room with his disciples? We, we see here that Jesus was gone from them for how many days? Three days. It horrified his parents. Was this a glimpse of sometime near the end of his ministry when he would be gone again for three days, this time in a tomb and horrifying his disciples? In this early glimpse of him, we see the first words that Jesus speak are about his father. The first words recorded of Jesus are about his father, doing his father's business. When we jump ahead to the end of the story, as Jesus stands on the Mount of Olives ready to ascend back to the Father, the last words he speaks are about his Father. He says, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. 
The first words are about his heavenly father. The last words are about his heavenly father. And in between, his entire life was devoted to pleasing and serving and honoring his heavenly father. That is the longing of every Christian parent and every Christian grandparent. That their children's lives will be devoted to their heavenly father. And as we enter this day into our time of baptismal renewal, my prayer is that each of us will recommit ourselves to that purpose. That we will once again remember who we are, whose we are, the price at which we were bought, and what God calls you to. Remember and be thankful. Let us pray. Father, we would love to be that kind of church that raises up faithful, enduring, victorious disciples of Jesus Christ of all ages. And Lord, we recognize that it starts right here with our own faithfulness. For how can we call anyone to something that we do not believe ourselves, that we do not live faithfully ourselves? And so, Lord, this day we return to the waters of baptism from whence we were born spiritually. Not to do again what didn't take the first time, but rather to claim what you have done in baptism, calling us to yourself, reminding us of our salvation, reminding us that we are washed new, reminding us that we are filled with your Holy Spirit, reminding us that we have been raised from death to new life. And so, Lord, would you meet us this day in what feels to us a sacramental moment? Would every, every affirmation that is spoken be sincere? Would every heart that comes to receive this renewal of vows, would this, every heart be called to and reminded to and empowered by your Spirit to give themselves to this new year in the new and refreshed power of the Lord Jesus Christ? For we ask all of these things in his matchless name. Amen. Sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was mine, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears
Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. His word, my hope, The sun forbid.